There is an idea when people criticize popular music that the latest electro bubblegum pop was concocted in a laboratory. Somewhere, anonymous career people are mixing the ingredients for the most easily digestible entertainment junk food. That image might seem hyperbolic, yet it's not far off from the operations of one of the biggest but most surprising influences on pop music. They work at a secret location where they do not allow visitors, dress in matching suits, and use mannequins and robots for their official photo shoots. We're talking about Kraftwerk, German pioneers of electronic music. Kraftwerk were inspired by the energy of Detroit garage rock like MC5 and the Stooges, and would go on to influence 1980s synth-pop groups like Depeche Mode, Soft Cell, and Ultravox. With this in mind, it might be surprising for new listeners that this is what Kraftwerk sounds like. Many people, like music collector, vlogger, and musician Derek Higgins, were blown away when they first heard these otherworldly sounds in the 1970s. It was like uh, entering another world. Cling Clang is the uh, piece in particular that's just very hypnotic and amazing. It's just like it was, um, it was like a, entering a new world and a fascinating one. Really just wonderful, wonderful sound. But before they assimilated to the electronic future, Kraftwerk sounded entirely different. As they transitioned to synthesizers, they released a foray into outer space with a single titled Kahootek Cometan Melody, named after the 1973 comet Kahootek. In this episode, we look at Kraftwerk and how they moved from the strange experimental music scene of Germany to becoming an electronic band some would argue is just as influential, if not more influential, than the Beatles. Comet Kahootek is on its way. We call it Starseed. Every comet is an individual which can, in principle, uh, provide new information. Visible between mid-November and late January, it will eventually be as bright or brighter than the famous Halley's Comet of 1910. I do feel that the comet, although it was not visible and as spectacular as they had thought, that it has had some effect in our atmosphere. Now, how about the economy? Uh, we're visitors on this planet Earth. Kraftwerk emerged from the controversially named Krautrock scene of Germany. The genre includes bands like Can, Cluster, Tangerine Dream, Eloy, and Faust. Krautrock was a name coined by either a British DJ or a British music magazine to describe the music coming out of West Germany, and was initially used derisively. Some musicians have resisted the title, preferring names like cosmic music. The cosmos were one thing that tied these artists together, both in their spacey sounds and philosophy. It's difficult to describe the sound of krautrock, as these bands are defined easier by what they don't sound like rather than what they do. What krautrock does not sound like is blues rock or schlager, the short sentimental pop ballads of post-war Germany. The main thing that I understand that was happening that could be called a link between the German bands was the letting go of the Western influence on their 
on the youth culture after the war, people um, just looking for new ways of expressing themselves. I would say that would be the thread that I see as a through to what we consider um, the German school or Krautrock. Pink Floyd is often cited by Krautrock musicians as a major influence. Above all, Krautrock was born out of the German counterculture scene and was a distinctly ideological genre. German counterculture forming in the 1960s as a student movement is unique in its character. Decades after the fall of Nazi Germany, a new generation of anti-fascist youth were disturbed by the return to traditionalism and the appointment of former Nazis within the new liberal government. Pitched battles still raged as left-wing violence swept West Germany. Acts of sheer hooliganism were caught. Dr. Kiesinger, the federal chancellor, quickly met with his coalition leaders to discuss sterner measures against the rioters. The age of sex, drugs, and rock and roll took on a particularly political bent in Germany, with the 1968 student movement having a lasting impact on the country and a generation. The protests led to a police shooting, leading to police brutality demonstrations. Activists occupied classrooms to teach new left ideas. The movement spawned politicians, communes, anarchist cells, and of course, music. Many Krautrock bands were in different parts of the country and were performing vastly different kinds of music. Many weren't even aware of each other. But they had one defining motive, to create a new music that dispensed with the capitalist optimism of Schlager and the structure and tradition of Western rock. Although parallels can be drawn between Krautrock and American counterculture music, the German cosmic music scene ranged from sounds like this to this to this. That was Phaedra by Tangerine Dream, Oh Yeah by Can, and Riding on a Cloud by Amundul 2, respectively. A far cry from Creedence Clearwater Revival or Jimi Hendrix. Music collectors like Derek Higgins have kept this niche genre alive. I think it was kind of revolutionary. I, I really do. And Kraftwerk being out of Dusseldorf really did not see themselves being a part of any scene, but as a result of the singularity of their approach, fit right into the what I see as the revolutionary movement of music out of uh, Germany in the 70s. One of the bands that emerged in 1969 was the Organization for the Realization of Shared Music Concepts, also called Organization for short. Their only album, Tone Float, is a foray into the most abstract of progressive rock with a glockenspiel, bongos, maracas, flutes, and more. Some of the most novel instruments credited include a shaky tube, musical box, plastic hammer, and electric flute. 
After weak album sales, half of organization went back to finish their university studies. While playing in the band, two members, Ralph Huta and Florian Schneider, had become obsessed with something far less acoustic, synthesizers. Synthesizers in the late 60s were still seen largely as a novelty. The major point of exposure for synthesizers was the surprise success of switched-on Bach, classical compositions arranged for the Moog. Classical music aficionados sneered at switched-on Bach, but its populist success led to a career for its creator, who would go on to create electronic scores for A Clockwork Orange and The Shining. The Moog is just the tip of the iceberg of electronic music, however, and many in the Krautrock scene saw its potential for experimentation. Synthesizers were long alien to the music establishment. Beyond the Moog, they also have the potential to be modular with musicians building component instruments with soldering irons. They can function without even a keyboard, with the musician setting noise generators, sequencers, and filters in a process more akin to operating a switchboard than to playing notes on an instrument. However, this was exactly the kind of experimentation Ralph Hutter and Florian Schneider were interested in when Schneider purchased a synthesizer in 1970. The first gig Schneider and Hutter played together was at the Cream Cheese Club in Dusseldorf, Schneider playing the flute and Hutter playing the keyboards. They placed a traffic cone on the stage, iconography that signified their forming industrial futurist philosophy. They would use the traffic cone up through the Kahootek Melody single. Here's a sample from their second album, Craftwork 2. Although the traffic cone would eventually disappear, the unique sensibility it represented would persist. To this day, Huta has maintained that the members of Kraftwerk are not musicians, but music workers. I believe it was Ralph Hutter of the band who referred to them as music, music arbiter, music workers, and that that was basically what they were, is they were music workers making this machine of music, you know, because again, craft work is the name of the power plant or whatever, that's what it refers to. Not everyone necessarily agreed with that, but being that, you know, Florian, rest in peace, but Ralph appears to be the person who has kind of been um, the leading person throughout the years, his vision. And so, um, I mean, I can't second guess what his whole trip was, but it does seem to make sense that the whole robotic thing um, kind of follows that idea that, well, we're just workers and a machine can do the work or we can, you know, playing with that whole concept seems to be what that has been all about. It's, it's machine-like and yet when you like see them live or you see the live videos where they're doing this stuff, there's still quite a bit about it that is human. In the years after Kahootek passed in 1974, they moved entirely to electronic synthesizers. 
performances featured four band members standing behind smooth, mysterious machines in suits, hair greased back. They would appear almost animatronic as they created music emanating both a unique minimalism as well as retrofuturism, an almost ironic glorification of technology. Kraftwerk would somehow fit in at an Andy Warhol party or at the New York World's Fair. But how did this straight-laced mechanical ethos settle with the anarchic revisionism of Krautrock when Kraftwerk's aesthetic fetishized the kind of technology and functionalism that their contemporaries were loudly rejecting? Why would they name songs after the comet Kahootek, otherwise embraced by New Age dreamers? According to researcher Berti Gronholm, Kraftwerk's image is more complicated than a surface reading might suggest. He argues that Kraftwerk was responding to a loss of German cultural identity, and like many in the Krautrock scene, they were trying to redefine what new music could be in a country embarrassed by its history, but also its future as the Nazis' futurist vision still loomed. Kraftwerk used the nostalgia for German modernism to their advantage, while many Krautrock groups were rejecting German identity, or even human identity, by exploring the sonic potential of space Kraftwerk reflected on both Germany and Schlager music with an ironic touch. They reclaimed the fantasy of German innovation, but even their slick appearance referenced the plastic pop crooners they were rejecting. With song and album titles like Autobahn and The Man Machine, Kraftwerk seemed to advertise a fully automated utopic future, yet they retained an ironic distance, pushing their sensibility to an uncanny extreme, as if the music they were making wasn't for humans, but from a place and time out of reach. Despite this postmodern aesthetic that would seem to intentionally alienate the band from their audience, Kraftwerk was a success, easily the most successful band to come out of the Krautrock scene. Their rhythmic beats could soon be found in dance clubs around the world. What's funny is um, uh, you would never associate the word disco necessarily with Kraftwerk or necessarily R&B and black music right away, but the, it's very interesting how quickly as they discovered rhythm, the importance of rhythm in their music, and as they evolved their use of rhythm, it steered them directly into uh, black music and funk. Kraftwerk continued their mystique offstage. Many bands have maintained secrecy and personas, but like their performances, nothing else is quite the same as Kraftwerk. They refuse to accept mail, and the exact location of their Kling Klang studio is unknown. These signature eccentricities are even apparent in their collaborations with other artists. Reportedly, they removed the bells from the phone at Kling Klang studio, so in order to arrange a call, they would set a precise time, and a band member would pick up the receiver at just the right moment when you called. Chris Martin of Coldplay once submitted a request to use a sample of Kraftwerk in a song. Months after writing to their lawyers, he received an envelope with a handwritten reply that simply read, yes. Coldplay aren't the only band that has sampled Kraftwerk, as Derek Higgins points out. But they were among the first and most essential um, samples being used by Beat Boys and the whole New York scene where a lot of hip hop, um, as we you know, understand it was was created. Just get on down. Bad body. 
That's Africa Mbambada, who has been called the godfather of hip-hop culture and one of the originators of Breakbeat, sampling Kraftwerk's Trans-Europe Express. Yeah, and so it just again to me just makes sense how the pulse of the of of the rhythm over time with their exploration of technology um, would kind of lead them to this intense rhythmic uh, approach to the music, which to me is robotic and also very very human at the same time. On the one hand, you're getting fooled by this, this whole um, way that they're assaulting your senses, when in fact it's just movie music for your butt. Perhaps the dramatism of Kraftwerk's secret studio has been earned by the significance of what they were creating inside. Building electronic drum machines and new ways of manipulating recordings like mad scientists in a lab has led us to a future where nearly all popular music is not just electronically, but digitally produced. This is the great irony of Kraftwerk. On some level, their music of the future has become the music of the present. Initially avant-garde, synthesizers and computerized sounds now dominate. Have they succeeded in their mission to reinvent music for the digital age, or has Kraftwerk been subsumed into the easily digestible schlager they were rebelling against? It's hard to say, but Kraftwerk continues to perform and they have embraced new technology, opting for digitized touchscreen synthesizers over their analog modular systems. But Kraftwerk has been fully automated, sending robots in their place for photo shoots and interviews. Often the robots even replace the band members on stage. As for the single, Kuhutek Komet and Melody, it represents a transitional phase in Kraftwerk's career. It was the last album to feature their once signature traffic cone. The themes of all of other Kraftwerk's albums allude toward a European industrial utopia, evoking images of sleek cars, fast trains, nuclear energy, and computers. Kahootek Comet and Melody stands alone in evoking the stars, more akin to the new age cosmic dreams of their German peers. What Comet Kahootek left behind is written and produced by London Homer Wambi. Music by Naramata. You can download the soundtrack at naramata.bandcamp.com. Additional voices and support provided by Madison Volley. Check out the five other episodes to learn about the countercultural oddities left in Kahootek's wake.